2: Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to the Booth Hustle. I know I said that I was going to release episodes like every two weeks and it's probably been like an extra week or two, but to be fair, I got hit with a COVID stick pretty hard Uh, and the flu like in the last two months and no one wants to hear uh, what I sounded like (laughs) when I had COVID. I could barely talk. Uh, I was unfunctional. So sorry for the delay in episode, but sounding better, feeling better. How are you guys? Are you guys all sick too? (laughs) I feel like everyone on the planet is sick right now. Good to be back. This episode I actually recorded back in December and had a really great chat. Cassandra Lascarides, yeah, she's fantastic. She is the uh, hospitality manager of Chattermark Distillers in Boston. Chattermark specializes in whiskeys that have been made with New England grains and aged and uh, bottled at their distillery in Charlestown. It was founded by John Sorgini. He's an Air Force veteran, lawyer, now he's a distiller. Chattermark is a small but unique operation. They focus primarily on whiskeys and they have a gin and a white rye. Pretty cool stuff. At the distillery, Cassandra and the beverage team create unique cocktails made up entirely of things that they create in-house. They have to only use things that they make there um, just because of the laws um, around the type of tasting room that they have in Massachusetts. And I spoke with Cass about how she got her start in the industry and the path that led her to Chattermark. She's got a really cool career trajectory. And as you know, on the Booth Hustle, we focus on telling the stories of people behind the brands. But because Chattermark is really up and coming we spent about equal time learning about Cass as we did talking about the distillery. We had a great conversation. I really hope you enjoy the episode. Cheers. Um, I did stalk you on social media a little bit, so most people <laughs> <Great>. that I <laughs> most people that I interview, like I maybe know tangentially or know a little bit. And since I didn't know you at all, I was like. I got to, I got to find out what I can about this chick. So I found your TikTok, which is very cute. Oh
3: no. <laughs> well,
2: great. girl, you don't have a very common name. So it's like, it's easy to just
3: yeah, be discovered. Yeah, that's, that's, that's funny. Yeah, I know that TikTok is hard. I really love the platform, mm-hmm. but it's a lot of work.
2: Yeah, but your, your TikTok's adorable. So just.
3: Oh, thanks. I, yeah, I love music. So that's kind of the focus there. Yep. Uh, but that's that's too funny. Well, that's awesome. Well, great. thank
2: you for being here. I saw your um, your interview with like the local news, and it was hilarious. And it's it's so funny because like every time there's a segment with like news, what do you call them? Like mm-hmm. news hosts, news personalities, or yeah. whatever. They have the same shtick. It's always oh, everybody comes out of the woodwork for the booze, and then you're just like, I yep. just want to talk about how this is made, and they're like, No, what's in this fancy cocktail? And you're like, Oh my god,
3: <laughs> you did great. I know it's. It's a very kind, like, level of excitement with, like, a complete lack of knowledge or understanding. But, you know, we are there to help fill in the blanks. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I do what I can Yeah. on whatever news platform I'm needed.
2: <laughs> I, I find, um, I think, as as time has evolved and the mediums have evolved and there's more conversational type, like, getting to know the real people elements through social media, that the regular channel news aesthetic Mm -hmm. seems even more bizarre now because Mm. you're not getting the real version of anybody you're getting this like um like after school high school like rah this is the pep club like not pep club what is it the uh I don't know like a pep rally everything's like high fives and ass slaps you know what I mean Yeah, yeah 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 totally a little bizarre but I think you did great so that's a good way to put it so tell our, our listeners um, a little bit about um, who you are and what you do at Chattermark.
3: Yeah. Uh, so my name is Cassandra Lasterides. Everybody here calls me Cass. Um, what I do is I'm, well, I'm the hospitality manager uh, here at Chattermark Distillers. I help run all events, helped open our tasting room. Um, I am part of our, I am our marketing team in helping our brand and just our identity grow we are a whiskey first distillery grain to glass meaning we make everything from scratch here uh located in charlestown massachusetts so all of our grain is coming from maine we do our own mashing fermenting distilling and barreling on site and we're a small team of just the founder a distiller myself a salesperson and then we have a little bit of production help and bar help as well so a tight-knit group um we're just about five years old. However, because we made everything from scratch, we, haven't, we just went to market in the past mm-hmm. less than like two years. And the tasting room is just about a year old now. Wow. So um, it's been a really fun experience getting into like this type of craft mm-hmm. spirits and um, this level of like, you know, intimate group working as one to, you know, level up our brand and our awareness about whiskey in New England.
2: Yeah. And I, I imagine everyone there has to wear a lot of hats. There's no like one job when it's a, a small group like that.
3: Right. Absolutely. It's very much a startup vibe in that sense mm-hmm. that, uh, That's fun. you know, we're all, I, I tend to like spend a lot of time with our distiller and I, I chase him around a bit. <laughs> I'm sure he loves <laughs> uh, cause that. Cause he's like, yeah, he's, yeah, he's a very supportive, good sport. Cause you know, I'm always trying to bounce ideas off of whoever's around. Mm-hmm. Because to, you know, collaboration is important. But being this small, we all are needed in different places. So sometimes we have to take chances on our own mm-hmm. as
2: well. That's very cool. We're in Charlestown, are you guys? Because I imagine you guys have to have quite a large space if you're doing everything in-house.
3: Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially with distilling, the there's like a lot of rules, um, just like alcoholic vapors mm-hmm. and steam and things of that nature. So we are, so we are down by the Navy Yard literally under the Tobin bridge oh, so cool. we're we're a little hidden we are a speakeasy without trying to be a speakeasy um, <laughs> you know i love from <laughs> unintentional cuz yeah it's a little tricky we're inside of this area called Autoport so there's like all these new make cars that are coming through there's like boston boat works there's like a boat building shop near us so it's very industrial which you'd kind of expect with like breweries and distilleries mm-hmm. Um, but it's still close to the city Mm -hmm. like we're very close to the north end or you know td garden where the bruins and the celtics play so we're still in the neighborhood, just like a little bit off the beaten path and like under this bridge. So mm-hmm. a lot of people, it's a very unique perspective of the city.
2: You guys should like do something like, I don't know if you've ever watched It's Always Sunny, but they have like the troll toll. You guys can be like, come into the yeah. bridge, pay the troll toll, drink
3: some whiskey. We <laughs> say that too often, honestly. Yeah, oh. we, we love that show. Uh, so it's great. It's, ex- it's exactly that. <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: that's awesome. Um, I wonder, well, I have a lot of questions actually. Um, specifically, like you know, uh, you would think there'd be more distilleries. And I I was thinking about this earlier, like Massachusetts is actually quite a perfect place for distilling because it has such a Mm -hmm. revolutionary history. I'm always surprised that there aren't more. And we're talking about making things grain to glass. And you, I've either you said, or I read somewhere that a lot of the grain is coming from Maine, but where's the grain coming, coming from, um, like the corn
3: coming from for the bourbon? Yeah. Also, also Maine. So it's, um, we get all of our grain from Maine Malt House. It's in Mapleton, Maine. Mm-hmm. It's like technically closer to Canada than it is mm-hmm. to us. It's like a six or seven hour drive from Boston, and we are getting grain from them that's not sourced necessarily from anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so they grow their own corn, wheat, rye, um, a very particular like winter rye we use as well, and like single malt, mm-hmm. like, different versions of single malt, uh, bar- uh, you know, barley, malted barley. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's all coming from one location, one farm, uh, which is quite unique. We get like one shipment a month, you know, depending on what we're making. Like right now, we're in a bit of a bourbon kick. Mm -hmm. So we're getting that corn. We do a four grain bourbon as well. So it's with corn, wheat, single malt and rye. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, all from that one location, which is really cool. There's a lot of good farms in Massachusetts, New England in general. So, right, it is a good place for distilling or brewing.
2: Yep. I'd love to talk about your founder, um, John, a little bit um, Mm -hmm. and his background and how he came to Chattermark. And then we'll talk about you, I promise.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, the story of Chattermark is really cool. It's always a good place to start. Um, Yeah, John is a um, Air Force vet. He spent 28 years in the service, finally retired this summer, actually. So technically, even while he started the business, he was still (laughs) in the Air Force, um, you know, doing some duties there but officially retired. Also was a former corporate lawyer as well. So has that background too. And for him, this is definitely a, you know, it's a a passion project in the sense that like, he always found that at the end of a mission, when everyone's getting together um, that drink, like being able to come together over a bottle of whiskey and discuss whatever needs to be discussed was definitely particularly memorable for him. Mm -hmm. And um, wanted to go into service That was a little different, a little bit more craft oriented and found that his passion for whiskey, it's just not one that is there. There was a gap in the city for this particular spirit Mm -hmm. um, and felt like it was a good opportunity to dive in. And it's 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 a small yet mighty community that we're now a part of which is really cool. So we're just trying to put ourselves on the map as whiskey makers in Boston.
2: Yeah. Why did he choose Boston specifically? Because I know typically if you're going to be doing such a large scale, like process that you would want a little bit more space and like doing it somewhere where like, you know, everything's kind of on top of each other. It wouldn't be the first place I would pick. So why did, why did he pick Boston?
3: Yeah, Boston. Well, one, um, we're all from Massachusetts. He's like a kid from Lynn now, you know, lives in Boston. So it's something where you know, he wanted to be close to his family, didn't want to um, pick somewhere that he would travel, you know, have to travel very far for. So he wants to be close to his home. Boston Water Profile is fantastic. It's a, a great, uh, great water system here, water treatment system for us to get used to. Mm-hmm. And, and Charlestown is also a place that um, on the outskirts where we are, and there's other locations there just there's space there is room here there is still industrial space that we're believe me we're running out of it mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes to like barrel storage sure. and things of that nature we need to find other locations to start storing barrels um however we you know we still it to be connected to the city not be too much on the fringe of the city and uh you know find that sweet spot which we have just cool so That's great. So what do you
2: guys, I I imagine you're still kind of smaller scale, but like what's your total production now that you guys are
3: are doing? Right. uh, So we have well over 400 barrels resting at the moment. We, I think we're maybe even closer to like 425, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. Um, We're making whiskey every day. So we primarily make bourbon and rye whiskey. Um, We also make a white rye, which is an unaged whiskey. And we make a gin out of that white rye. Mm -hmm. We make gin probably once a year. It's a little bit more of a labor of love due to the botanicals and the cleaning that's required mm-hmm. when we're, you know, fixing up our systems. And of course, uh, just being a younger distillery, we are focused on making bourbon rye. We actually, you know, we make a corn whiskey, some single malt whiskey mm-hmm. too, some more generic American whiskey. But we're, we're focused on making that bourbon rye because we want to get it in barrels as soon as we can to get that aging process going. So you guys are using uh, the actually, white
2: rye as the base for the gin?
3: Yes. Very cool. Yes. And what
2: do you guys, what yeah. botanicals are you using for the gin?
3: Yeah, I mean, juniper is a classic, but we actually like to keep it. Um, we're trying to c- recreate like a coastal forest vibe of like Gloucester. Cool. So we uh, do our own forging of white pine for that. and nice. We also include yeah sumac and white birch. There's like some sage. That's involved as well a hmm. oh, lot of lemon zest and like a couple other botanicals as well. Very cool. Very silky. I love it in like a martini. I definitely I actually wasn't a huge gin drinker. I'm in now I'm more of a gin drinker thinking joining this distillery. I didn't think that's where I would go mm-hmm. and now I drink the gin the most probably.
2: It's good to to get a break from brown spirits every now and then. That's what ends up happening to me. I drink a lot of bourbon, and then all of a sudden I'm like, I want nothing to do with it. I go to agave spirits for a while. Gin, Mm -hmm. I I have a hard time with gin. I think it's because um, usually the proofs are so high. And I know proofs are higher on whiskey too, but like something about the proof of gin just hits Mm. different. I don't know what it is, but I always get – a little litty, a little too fast on gin. I don't, I, I
3: don't know. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. I know. I tend to do more spirit forward cocktails too with gin. So it's, it definitely, yeah, I, I understand. Cause I love a Negroni mm-hmm. or, uh, like again a martini so those stirred cocktails are maybe a little bit more spirit forward yeah Yeah, they hit a little bit harder yeah for sure (laughs) Uh, quicker quicker than they maybe maybe suggested
2: well let's talk a little bit about you um I'm really interested in how you got to where you are because um you've got a great education um I was reading you know you've got your master's you were looking to get into education Um, somewhere along there, you took a a turn down a fishmonger street and then, (laughs) (laughs) and then you've ended up at a distillery. Like, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and like how you found your way to, to where you are today.
3: Yeah. I guess like the big thing is like when I, when I was an undergrad, I was a history major. So education was always like kind of something I wanted to step into, but not something that I wanted to dive into right away. I felt like there was so much more to discover. Mm With that being said, yes, I've dabbled in a lot of different industries. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was younger, the fish industry is like one, one, of, the, one of the places that I uh, got to spend some time pretty much. Yeah, I, I mean, I ended up growing into a position where I was the fishmonger for our local restaurant scene. Mm-hmm. So it was quite unique. I got to work closely with chefs, understanding their process, you know, how they buy fish. Working literally on the 100-year-old fish pier in Boston. Crazy. Through, yeah, freezing cold winters, smelled terrible most of the time. <laughs> uh, it's a gritty, very male-dominated industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, learned a lot at a young age, but definitely wasn't sustainable for me. Just so, you know, you, you got to give up a lot to uh, get to a certain place there. But it was a great place to grow. And at that point, I decided um, to go back to school to get my master's in education. Mm-hmm and um when i did that i knew i needed like a part-time job and i ended up at um night shift brewing i always wanted to like work in work at a brewery and it felt like a good gig while being in school Mm -hmm. and pretty much what happened was the fact that like i kind of you know i fell in love with the beer making process with the history of beer again like looking to be a history teacher it was just quite fascinating to think about all the different styles, the transitions, here in America, here in Germany. Like it just, there's just so much to think about and talk about. Mm-hmm. And then also, I've always been passionate about like food and drink, so, you know, with fish and whatever it might be. Um, I'm surprised you still so, even want to eat fish after being a fish. I, <laughs> yeah, it's like my favorite thing. Yeah. Oh my god, still. Uh, Oh, yeah. I had Skate Wing last night oh my a great God. restaurant. The, so, the love um, affair is
2: real. I think that, like, if I had to smell fish that much for that period of time, I'd be like, I need a few years,
3: you know? Or I guess it's been
2: <laughs> a few years, right?
3: <laughs> it has. It definitely, you know, it's funny. It's like a memory, you know, it's a it's a sensation now that when I smell, like, if it's, like, down by the water, you know, like, raw <laughs> fish, yeah. there's a certain smell, but it's actually quite endearing. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, Wow those those times yeah those were the days <laughs> i you know it's nice to be able to go out for a drink afterward mm-hmm. i couldn't do that right i'd have to go home shower like burn my clothes oh and my then God. try again the next day so um <laughs> that's yeah so i'm a little bit more social now due to the fact that uh, i got out of that <laughs> i imagine
2: like everyone would be like we really want to invite Cass out but ooh.
3: <laughs> yeah 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 It's yeah, fair it's fair it wasn't great just kidding yeah and it It just kind of grew from there though so um when it with when i was at night shift brewing yeah i just i learned a lot about beer i kind of put my educational skills to the test i you know i love connecting with people that's like it's all about teaching and conversations Mm -hmm. and and learning together and that was a great place to learn with the staff learn with customers share a, a common passion and um I kind of have those natural like, because I want to be a leader in a classroom and a natural leader managing skills. Mm-hmm. So I just I just flew and you know kind of just grew in this natural sense of um, giving tours, learning a bit more, becoming a manager, helping them with a new restaurant space. Mm-hmm. Did that for about five or six years, and then the production our production assistant here, who uh, was an old colleague of mine, gave me a call about wanting to open the tasting room at Chattamark Distillers, and he thought I'd be the right person to help get it off the ground. So um, just like a new opportunity. And spirits, something I didn't really know a ton about. Mm. So I've always loved tequila, mezcal. I like whiskey, but I've never dived into it the way I did beer. So it's been a really cool transition to learn about distilling and cocktails and how to also put that in an easily digestible way for our customers that come in, you sure. know, so transporting that to like making it an educational space yeah. for our guests, because whiskey is definitely an, an underrated or unknown spirit in the city.
2: Hmm. Well, what do you think is the
3: more known thing in the city? Well, it, definitely beer. Like, oh, I mean, okay. just, we're you know, like, it, it just like comparing, I would say a beer is definitely way more, um, it's just like oversaturated sure. market here. And Tito's. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. And then, and then you do have a college town as well, right? So yeah, like your vodka sodas, your Mm -hmm. gin and tonics, maybe your cheaper liquors. There are some stellar cocktail bars that showcase like unbelievable liquors that are made here Mm -hmm. or just like more craft distilling. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, it is a smaller distilling community. So I think it's just not talked about as much as uh, maybe the beer industry is normally talked about here. When you have like Mm -hmm. the trilliums, the night shifts, the uh, tree houses of the world, right. you know, these huge successful companies. You know,
2: what's interesting is I'd say that uh, the percentage of hospitality or tasting room manager or, you know, front of house distillery people that I've talked to that have history degrees would blow your mind. It's such a common thread education or history. And it's, and it makes sense. I mean, they're, you're storytellers, you're interested in the process. um, But I always just find it fascinating. Every time I talk to somebody who's in a role like yours, they're like, oh, I went to school for history. And I'm like, yeah, that tracks, (laughs) that
3: tracks. It sounds about right. So funny too, because like doing that, you're like, what do you get out of, you know, being a history, uh, you know, student of history. And it's like, well, I'm here, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you, you learn how to talk about uh, yeah, and be a storyteller and, and communicate with others in different ways, and uh, and and it's been it's been really fun. Yep, that's great. But it's definitely easier too to t- <laughs> to talk about whiskey or beer than uh, than it is to talk about like you know trying to teach somebody some sort of historical concept. So this is a little bit more fun as well uh, versus the classroom. Well,
2: it's a, it's a sneaky way to get people to learn history because if you apply it through the lens of alcohol, you can bring people on a journey way back and then like sneak some other shit in there that's important, you know, maybe they'll Absolutely. remember it. Absolutely um, people always want to learn about things they're interested in. So however, however we can educate the masses cast, that's our job. (laughs) Oh,
3: that's right. That's right. So we're here to do (laughs)
2: whatever we can do. I wonder, I'd love to hear about your approach to the tasty groom because right. Like you still kind of, um, still growing, still new, obviously not like tons of SKUs, but enough things to work with for, for beverage. Do you craft the beverage program yourself? Where did you get the inspiration for that? Obviously, because, um, I think you're a bartender at Night Shift as well for a while. Can you just talk a little bit about your approach towards, you know, the program, whether it be seasonality or local or
3: influence, like what your influences are? Yeah, absolutely. I guess it really starts with the spirits. Um, I took a lot of time to get to know the spirits, Um, our bourbon, our rye, especially our white rye, the unaged whiskey. It's really unique because it never touches a barrel. So it's very fruity, a lot of stone fruit flavors and like a rising dough. So I knew that would be like a really cool tool to kind of expand our menu. Mm -hmm. Really my approach here was to start off our cocktail program by reinventing the classics to a certain extent. So in Massachusetts, you know, with uh, distilleries, you have a particular farmer's license, meaning like we're like a liquor farm. I can only sell Mm -hmm. what I grow. (laughs) I don't grow sweet vermouth, so I can't sell sweet vermouth. You know, so we can't have Campari or Aperol. It's a very unique challenge. Mm As a bartender because now you're looking at making different syrups using different citruses Mm -hmm. you have to be a little bit more creative because you can't rely on all these other amaros and for us again we make everything from scratch so we don't want to source a spirit and put it in a bottle just for the sake of having it behind the bar Mm -hmm. Um, we want to make sure that we're controlling every step of the process with every spirit we make Mm which is a challenge for production as well, mm-hmm. not just for the tasting room. So that's kind of where we began. And uh, we wanted to highlight the whiskeys and like the easiest forms, straight pours, old fashions. But then we bring in classics like um, a Kentucky Buck. Um, we make syrups like jalapeno syrup. So that really goes well with the white rye, giving us like almost like a tequila like sensation. Mm-hmm. We make a margarita out of that as well. Cool. We've made our own triple second house so we can have margaritas for the menu because like we are whiskey centric i see it it can be a barrier sometimes with guests so having them understand before they come here or maybe they're interested in coming but they feel like ooh brown liquor like Mm -hmm. whiskey i don't drink whiskey so this bar is off limits to me it's not you know so whiskey can be enjoyed in so many different forms and also because we have the white whiskey and the gin we're really able to expand our menu Mm -hmm. and be a little bit more robust. So intriguing to all different types of drinkers. And I guess we wanna be known more as like a cocktail bar, not just a distilling tasting room. Mm -hmm. We wanna try to be on the same level as some of these like really amazing cocktail bars that are in the city. With the level of care, we make our own sugar cubes, for example. We do gin infusions and vanilla white rye. So we're trying to be creative using local resources, doing things from scratch, and just show that from grain to glass to cocktail, like we're putting in as much effort as possible.
2: Yeah, that's incredible. And, and I'm sure that it it really honors like the nature of where it comes from too, when you're treating it very locally, right? Like everything here is from here, yeah, where it's grown and where it's made. That's very, very cool. And I should
3: say, I started it, but now I have an amazing bar uh, bar manager, Vasily, who has, like, I had a ceiling, right? I come from the beer world, so yes, I can make cocktails, but, like, I, like, tapped out, and I was like, okay, this is what I can do. And then after a certain point, I was able to bring in a bar manager who has a lot more skill and expertise and is able to create things that are fantastic and really fun. So it, again, allows me with, like, all the hats we all have to wear Mm -hmm. to shift and focus on getting people in here, make sure I can set them up for success Mm -hmm. to have a successful night. And it's just, yeah, it's it's really fun. That's very cool.
2: And that's very nice of you for uh, sharing the credit.
3: (laughs) You meet a lot of people who like to take all
2: the credit. (laughs) Of course, no.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby.
2: I'd love to talk a little, like, get geeky for a second, talk a little bit about the spirits themselves um, and how they're made. There's a lot on the website talking, like, specifically about air seasoning staves versus kiln drying. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could talk to our listeners a little bit about that um, and why the founder and your head distiller, Kyle, like, why they are choosing to use that process.
3: Yeah, they – so when it comes to – The barrels, like we get 53-gallon barrels. um, Yeah, everything is air season, meaning it's been laid in a field for at least eight months, the wood itself. Just with particular wood that might be kill and Mm dry, your your potential to lose certain flavors along the way. And that time in a barrel, you're just going to have some more maybe interesting chemical reactions down the line when it comes to like that four, Mm -hmm. six, eight-year mark. Even after two years, we've seen a lot of success with these barrels. Um, Our spirits are winning awards things of that nature. So we think we're off to a good start, mm-hmm. but it's, it's really for us just putting in that extra care to make sure that we're getting the best barrels possible, the wet, best wood. And generally speaking, the air seasoned wood is going to, um, provide, uh, more flavor down the line, um, with these spirits as they age.
2: Okay. And, and what
3: kind of still are you guys making these on? Uh, we have a German pot still in column steam uh, low boil. Okay. Um, we double pot distill our bourbon and rye, so we do not use the columns uh, for making bourbon and rye just because, you know, we want to obtain like all of that flavor of the oils that we're developing. Um, since we do control every step of the process, mm-hmm. it's just not necessary to like clarify anything mm-hmm. um, and we're getting the proper proofs we want off the still with that as well. Yeah, no two are alike. It's it's handmade, came over from Germany. All of our tables in the tasting room are actually the crates that the uh, equipment came in. So we are able to repurpose that. Very cool. So what is
2: like the age of the oldest whiskey in like your bourbon, for example? Like, is it like two or three years
3: at this point? Or do you mm -hmm. have some older whiskey in there? Yeah, currently we have straight bourbon and straight rye. So, excuse me, it's aged for at least two years, Mm -hmm. five barrel blends. This is our first batch of both of those, so yeah. So straight bourbon rye whiskey aged for at least two years, five barrel blends. Um, They that's going to be our flagship moving forward. Mm -hmm. We'll do another run of this, and as we harvest in the spring, early spring possibly, because we are about to run out of this first batch, which is which is great for us. where that's we're really why excited you're to move it. the product. That's why you're yeah, doing that's it. Yeah, that's why we're doing it. <laughs> so, uh, and then, uh, you know, on top of that, though, we have barrels that are at least four years old that I think come February, we may have probably 50 or so barrels that are four years old. Mm-hmm. So a bottle and bond mm-hmm. will be exciting. Um, and then other one-offs too. So we actually are about to release a straight corn whiskey. Oh, cool. Our distiller is like, Obsessed with corn whiskey is yeah. kind of, we're trying to revive, you know, spirits that are not as well known, like the white yep. rye, the white whiskey and uh, the corn whiskey. And this is a two-year aged in a one-time used rye barrel. Super, it's like a sweet corn. Yeah, flavorful. Uh,
2: yeah, corn whiskeys Yeah, great. flavorful,
3: unique. Yeah. That's and very that's, cool. And that's, uh, probably have like 300 or so bottles of that, which will be good. And it's going to be, um, I should mention the proofs of the straights uh, finish at 94. Yep. And because this corn whiskey is going to thrive at a little bit of a higher um, proof at like 110, 111, I think we finished it at. So it should be really cool. It's our first cask finish. She big. You know, yeah. She big, girl. Yeah.
2: Um, so <laughs> right now, are you guys just in like New England or just in Massachusetts for distribution? How's that working?
3: Yeah, we uh, self-distribute. So we're just in Massachusetts okay. for the time being. We're in about 60, 70 liquor stores. We have like a nice little like find our store. Or like find us in a store map on our website to help people Great. kind of find us.
2: So what what's what's next for you here? Like what's what's the plan? World domination? Great question. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, world domination. Um, you know the t- tasting room is really exciting. So I run all the tours and tastings. Like I should say most every once in a while. Our distiller or our founder John, he'll he'll run a couple. I try to get them to do some special tours. But um, you know my focus is definitely on the experience here, um, you know, building that brand, uh, you know, showing our passion, and our craft uh, by showing up and providing a level of service here every weekend. Uh, other than that, though, too, like I do tasting. So getting out in the world a little bit more, you know, just showing up to restaurants that we're in, showing up to liquor stores that we're in, just to keep, continuing talking to the public and um, getting the word out. So that's, probably where I'll be hopefully transitioning to a little bit more next year is um, maybe a little less in the tasting room and more just out in the field, mm-hmm. helping like grow this brand and talk about these spirits. That's great. Others.
2: Seems like you're really passionate about it. What, uh, outside of Chattermark, like what, what are your, <laughs> not TikTok obviously, but like, what are you really interested <laughs> in outside of Chattermark? I know that we were talking a little bit about music, but what do you do to like kind of
3: turn your brain off and like
2: not think about work?
3: Oh, yeah, uh, rock climbing. Oh, no that's way. A, that's, yeah, probably my favorite activity, rock climbing. I'm, I'm also a huge sports fan, but, like, as for activity, um, there's a lot of great rock climbing gyms in the area, and I need to get outside more. That's, that's like, one of my New Year's, I guess, resolutions, just to make sure I get, get on some real rock, too, yeah. a bit more this year. Um but uh that and like cycling or two that's terrifying so definitely no, staying like,
2: active you don't need to be on a real rock just go to a climbing gym they got a mat if you fall it's fine
3: it's like one of the only sports <laughs> where like if you fuck up you die immediately like, you like yeah it will, you want to talk about not thinking about work and just thinking about your next move and True. not slipping yeah that's that's the sport for you it definitely you have to be uh in the moment you got to be thinking about the rock or you're gonna fall <laughs>
2: it seems a little extreme for no reason like um like I, I know a lot of people that mountain bike and they show me these videos over there, like mountain biking on these like roads or, or cliffs, you know, on the side of the mountain where no, it's like you. you just wrong turn. You're done. It's like, yeah, is no, mountain biking <laughs> that cool? Like <laughs> Why would you do that? Pass. To yourself? Yeah. All right. So no big rock faces for you, but big enough to make you zone out.
3: You know, nature a little bit more. I've, I've lived in the city for um, almost 10 years now, and I love it here, but definitely need to um, enjoy the mountains mm-hmm. uh, a tad bit more. You know, New England's a special place. Uh, I love going to Maine, so Portland's one of my favorite cities to visit to, so a lot of that. Um,
1: Where'd you go, grow up? I'll
3: go in the dead of winter. I grew up in Central Mass. Oh, Okay. Out in like the Worcester County area, mm-hmm. so uh, not too far. Love to come see the distillery and and
2: taste some things. And um, what else? What we've talked about so many things. What do you What do oh, you want to share with our with our listeners?
3: Yeah, I guess um, you know. <sighs> Put you on the spot, Cass. That, yeah. You put on the spot. <laughs> what is this, Donahue? Like, what's the, you
2: know, like boy, oh my god, um, who's the father? Gosh, <laughs> I'm
3: usually better at this. I'm just uh, messing with you. Um, you. You do um, not have to do this, I'm just <laughs> fucking with you. No, no, this is great. Honestly, like, it's just um, it's the fact that, like, you know, I, I think we're, we're, we're just a genuine group of people who care about putting out um, a good product, we want people to have a good time. Uh, one thing that's been really awesome is that we have regulars that come here now. Oh, cool. um, you know, this is like our bar. We have regulars in the neighborhood um, who are super supportive and are cheering us on along the way. And you know, so it's just we're 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 working to build a community mm-hmm. and we are I, you know, I think you know we're trying to create something that you can come in here and know nothing, and that's fine. This is not a pretentious atmosphere. We want to show you the world of whiskey and like have you enjoy it the way that you want to enjoy it. There's not one way to enjoy these spirits. We kind of want to open up like how versatile and unique, you know, bourbon and rye whiskey can be, Mm -hmm. white whiskey, gin as well. So. You know, we're just uh, we're just trying to be players in the field in that sense, and be a welcoming spot that is just like creative and having a good time. So that's great. You know, definitely be on the lookout for events and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's one of my focuses for next year: a lot more public events. You know, we've done oyster shucking parties. We do some fun that's cocktail cool. parties and stuff like that you couldn't so, you couldn't uh, get
2: too far away from the uh
3: fishmonger in yourself you're like no i was shucking oysters <laughs> for like the entire day just just it was a calling for me oh. that day <laughs> um what was i was gonna ask yeah. you oh that was it um where's the name chattermark come from oh yeah great question i should definitely mention that it's a it's a brevity code used in the Air Force. Oh so it tells yeah it tells pilots to um switch their radio signal to like avoid jamming mm-hmm. so it's a code that our founder has used you know, over the course of like the 10 to 12 tours he spent overseas. So again, like little subtle, like subtle nods to his service, you know, without being too, I don't know, over the top or, you know, so just, uh, just nods to where he came from, which is an important part of the story. So Mm -hmm. a lot of paper airplane vibes in here, things of that nature. Very cool yeah Well, it's
2: been an absolute pleasure talking to you. You're super adorable. No disrespect. I, you are adorable. Um <laughs> you're like, I'm a grown woman. Do not call me adorable. <laughs> no, oh, no, no. Cass is super smart and um I feel like we didn't talk about her enough and I and I feel bad. So maybe in the future we'll have like a uh, episode where we have drinks and we talk about making them and uh or oh, yeah. or just whiskey in general, which is always great. I'm going to come see you because I Please do would like to do that. So maybe I'll see you yes. soon. Yeah, that would be
3: great. Yeah. Love to have you in. Go to Chattermark. Um, what are your hours? Yeah, we're currently Thursday through Sunday, like 4 to 10 or 4 to 11. That's kind of our vibe. Definitely follow us on Instagram yep. if you're in the social world. That's where I'm doing most of the posting. It is me, so I'm learning. Great. <laughs> so it's, you know, I'm definitely, I need some Gen Z help to get me. Like, <laughs> those, Don't we all? Those reels. No, I know. My gosh, they're brilliant. I know. You know, I'm CM know Gen X
2: and I feel that. like we're the mirror images of gen z in a lot of ways because i just love them i'm just like I'm change the world guys yes yes
3: it's, it's on you i'm millennial i'm like i'm done go for yeah. it i'm just in this void you're so funny <laughs> you save the world
2: all right yeah. well if you're in the boston area go check out chattermark and say hi to cass and uh drink their awesome spirits i can't wait to try them and um enjoy the rest of your day thanks so much
3: thank you yeah